Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Modern technology plays a large role in solving today's crimes. GPS devices can aid in searching for missing people. Cell phone records and phone pings can help pinpoint a missing person's last known location or help identify a murder suspect. However, technology can also add a layer of eeriness in certain cases, especially those cases that remain unsolved. Today we will discuss unsolved mysteries in which phone calls were made or received, either to 911 or from a person close to the mystery. They have led to more confusion than answers in most cases. Strange Phone Calls Part 3, this week on Mysteriously Listed. Number 6. Brandon Bankhead May 28, 2016 was a difficult day for the Bankhead family. It would be the day they buried Brendan's great-grandmother, and it would be the last day anyone in his family would see Brendan alive again. After the service at Life Centre International Church in St. Louis, Missouri, 19-year-old Brendan bid his family farewell before getting into a black four-door car with tinted windows and black rims. Brendan would tell his family he was leaving with friends, but his family would later report never seeing these friends or this car before. Several weeks later, Brendan's mother received an anonymous phone call stating that her son was being held captive inside the closet of a vacant home in Walnut Park. Not only that, but they were going to kill him. Quote, We got your son. We got him in a closet tied up and we are getting ready to kill him. Unquote. Now, it's unclear if the phone call was ever traced, or if this lead was ever followed up, or even if the investigators believe that the call was authentic. Unfortunately, both the police and Brendan's family believe foul play was involved, and that Brendan is no longer alive. Brendan Bankhead was 19 years old at the time of his disappearance. He was 5 foot 2 and around 130 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair, which was styled in a mohawk. He was last seen wearing a red hooded sweatshirt, a multicoloured Burberry shirt, black pants and blue and white shoes. If Brandon is still alive today, he would be 24 years old. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Number five, Henrietta Cruz Avila. 17-year-old Henrietta Cruz lived in Santa Ana, California with her parents and younger siblings. She had recently dropped out of high school to take a job at a shop. In the spring of 1960, Henrietta met Merle Avila, who was seven years her senior. The pair immediately fell in love and were married a month later. The honeymoon phase of their relationship was over as quickly as it begun, and it was only three months into their marriage that her parents were no longer hearing from their daughter. When they tried to contact Henrietta, Mel told them that she had left him. Henrietta's father would report her missing to police on August 1, 1960. Police would interview Merle as part of their investigation, and he would claim the last time he saw his estranged wife was August 20 at a park in Long Beach, California. A week later, on August 27, Henrietta's parents received a collect call from San Francisco from a woman claiming she was their daughter. Before her mother could speak to her, though, the call was disconnected. Police would eventually trace this call back to a payphone in San Francisco. Later that same day, the Cruz family received a telegram. It was signed simply Henrietta, and it said that she was fine and for them not to worry about her, that she had a new job and she was happy and she would not be returning to her husband. Like the collect call, this telegram was also determined to have come from a payphone in San Francisco. But unfortunately, it was another dead end because the woman gave a fake contact address. Just before Christmas 1961, more than a year after Henrietta was last seen, Henrietta's father went outside to get in his car to drive to work when he saw on the trunk of his car a belt and some women's underwear that would later be determined to have belonged to his daughter. Henrietta, however, was nowhere to be seen. Unfortunately, there would be no more clues to her whereabouts after this. But were any of these interactions actually Henrietta, or just someone attempting to lead the family off what really happened to her? Now, it does seem strange that Henrietta would call her mother, but not actually speak to her, and that her husband seems to have not heard from her, or even attempted to look for her, for that matter. Police now believe that Henrietta most likely met with foul play, and that whoever was responsible for her death created the illusion that she had run away to San Francisco. Henrietta's parents hired a private investigator and even offered a reward for Henrietta's return. Merle remarried in 1962, but there is actually no record of him legally divorcing Henrietta or her being officially declared deceased. Merle and his second wife remained married until his death in 2012. Henrietta Cruz Avila was 17 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was Hispanic, 5 foot and 100 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a gold necklace and a gold wedding band. If Henrietta is still alive today, she would be 78 years old.
Number four, Beatrix Espinosa. Mid-March 2017, 25-year-old Beatrix Espinosa left her six-year-old son with her sister, Monica. She said it would only be for a few days while her three-year-old son was unwell. On Friday, March 23rd, Beatrix would call her sister to tell her she would pick up her son from the school bus that afternoon before she left for work. This would be the last known contact with the young mother. The next day, March 24th, at 11am, Beatrix's toddler would be found wandering alone at the front of the Tucker Road shopping centre, which is half a mile from his home with his mother and brother. Police were unable to reach Beatrix as her phone was now turned off and there was no sign of her at the apartment complex. Police would also later discover that Beatrix did not show for her job the night before as a dancer at a club on Tucker Road. Soon after, a family friend would receive an anonymous call from Mexico. This caller claimed that Beatrix had lost him $30,000 and he wanted it back. The same family friend would later hand over a child's backpack found in Beatrix's home. Under some children's clothing, there were two types of drugs, marijuana and methamphetamines. Because of this, police were concerned that Beatrix may have been kidnapped because of owed drug money or stolen drugs. Spring 2017 a man walking his dog on a dirt trail off Webb Road in Clayton County, Georgia. His dog discovered skeletal remains. He would immediately contact the police who discovered a second skeleton. It would take almost two years for a positive identification to be made. June 24, 2019, police would hold a press conference to announce one of the remains did belong to Beatrix and she was a victim of homicide. The second victim remains unidentified to this day. It is unclear if the two cases are connected and both murders remain unsolved. Number 3. Alyssa McLemore In April 2009, 21-year-old Alyssa McLemore lived with her mother and grandmother in Kent, Washington. Alyssa was known to enjoy dancing and roller skating. She had dropped out of school in her sophomore year and she was currently unemployed to help care for her sick mother who had a terminal autoimmune disease. Alyssa was also a very devoted mother to her three-year-old daughter. She would spend some nights at her boyfriend's home as he had custody of their daughter and this is exactly where she was on the night of her disappearance. On the evening of April 9th, 2009, Alyssa's grandmother called her to let her know her mother's condition was not good. Alyssa would tell her grandmother that she would come home straight away, but Alyssa would never come home and she would never be seen alive again. Sadly, Alyssa's mother would die three days later. Once the missing persons investigation began, a witness came forward to report seeing Alyssa in Kent the day she disappeared on the corner of 30 Avenue South and Kent Des Moines Road. Now, this area is near several highways and major roads that commuters use to go between larger cities like Seattle and Tacoma to work. 
One of these is the I-5 freeway. It is also a quite a questionable area with drug dealers and sex workers. Alyssa did have a history with sex work and she had been arrested previously because of it. But this witness in question saw a green 1990s model pickup truck with possibly Oregon licence plates, and this truck was seen approaching Alyssa. Now, it's not clear from my research if the witness saw Alyssa actually getting into the truck, but other witnesses also reported seeing Alyssa with an unidentified man. This man was described as Caucasian, aged in his 50s or 60s, 5 foot 8 and around 185 pounds, and he was seen driving a green pickup truck. It's unclear if he's involved in Alyssa's disappearance, but police would like to speak to him about what he knows. Throughout the investigation, the authorities learned that Alyssa called 911 on the evening of April 10th, the day after she was last seen. The dispatcher said she heard a woman asking for help before the call abruptly ended. Unfortunately for Alyssa, the call didn't have GPS, which I did find weird at first, but then again we are talking about 2009 here. In 2009, GPS on cell phones was still in its infancy. It's sad because if we are talking about 2019 here, then it is possible that Alyssa would have been found. What investigators could determine, though, was that the call was made from a cell phone that belonged to Alyssa, and in the days that followed, the phone went out of service. In the next decade, Alyssa's family and friends have done all they can to keep her name and face in the public eye. Investigators have also compared Alyssa's DNA to many Jane Doe's, but sadly they have not found a match. Alyssa is still considered missing under suspicious circumstances. Investigators do believe that foul play was involved. Alyssa McLemore was 21 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is biracial, with many agencies listing her as Asian or Pacific Islander. She was 5 foot 2 and around 130 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair, although many photos available do have her with bleached blonde hair. If Alyssa is still alive today, she would be 33 years old. Number 2. LaQuanta Riley LaQuanta Riley was raised by her aunt due to her mother Pamela being a very young teen mother. And although the two remained close... The situation encouraged LaQuanta to be ambitious and determined not to make the same mistakes her mother did. She finished high school with honours and received a full scholarship for college to study forensic science. In December 2003, 19-year-old LaQuanta was living with a roommate but they had a falling out. She decided to move out and planned to move back with her aunt and cousin in Montgomery, Alabama. December 3, 2003, at 11.30pm, LaQuanta left home in a dark green car with four doors, which has been described as a Ford Taurus or a Chevrolet Caprice. The driver took her to her mother Pamela's home to get a jacket. LaQuanta's brother let her in the house and asked who was driving and she told him not to worry. 
that it was just a friend she'd met around the neighbourhood. But LaQuanta got back into the car and she was never seen again. She left behind her purse and all her money. Three days later, Pamela reported her daughter missing. A few weeks after LaQuanta's disappearance, Pamela received a call on her answering machine. Now, it is unclear exactly what was said during this phone call, but what was said was something like, leave me alone or let me go home. A man can be heard in the background saying LaQuanta's name, and this is where the phone call ended. Pamela strongly believes the woman in the message was her daughter. Now, unfortunately, like the previous case with Alyssa, due to the time period being 2003, the call was not GPS traced or even tracked for that matter. Police received a lead soon after this, where they discovered LaQuanta's name being used to rent an apartment in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Pamela would visit this apartment complex and speak to the residents, showing them LaQuanta's photo. One resident claimed that LaQuanta not only lived down the hall from him, but also borrowed his cell phone to make a phone call on one occasion. Unfortunately, this woman moved out just days before Pamela had arrived at Stone Mountain. LaQuanta's family still hold out hope she is still alive, with a yearly candlelight visual being held in her honour. Pamela has also started a foundation in her daughter's name to support families of missing persons in Alabama. Quote, We're going to be the voice for them. Whatever we can do to get the faces of missing people in the public and to be a support of the families that are left behind to grieve, unquote. LaQuanta Riley was 19 years old at the time of her disappearance. She's African-American, 5 foot 8, around 200 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a yellow and green echo skirt, stone-washed blue jeans, green and yellow Reebok sneakers, and a silver chain bracelet. If LaQuanta is still alive today, she would be 37 years old. Number 1. Jennifer Apariciado. October 26, 2006, San Antonio, Texas. 18-year-old Jennifer Apariciado kissed her boyfriend goodbye and walked towards the corner of Wall Street and General McMullen to catch the bus home. When she called his cell phone only minutes later, he thought it was strange, but it was Jennifer scared. She told him a vehicle was following her. It was driving past her slowly, before turning around and then driving by her again, over and over. She'd never described the vehicle following her or the driver, but she never got on the bus and she was never seen alive again. When Jennifer's boyfriend tried calling her back an hour later to make sure she got home safe, an unknown woman answered. She told him she found the cell phone on the side of the road and Jennifer was nowhere to be seen. Unfortunately, there is not much more details on this case than this, which is heartbreaking. Police have stated there are no leads in her case, but her case remains open and active. Jennifer Apariciado was 18 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is Hispanic and very petite. She is only 4 foot 8 and around 90 pounds, 
with brown hair and brown eyes. Now, this is interesting because it is possible because of her stature. She may have been mistaken for an adolescent and abducted because of this because they thought she was much younger. She was last seen wearing a short sleeve red blouse, blue denim shorts and flip-flops. If Jennifer is still alive today, she would be 33 years old. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.